My subtitle for today is, um, I think this is part six, How to Handle Crisis Like a Child. Now, that you may have heard that thrown at you as an insult. You're acting like a child. Stop it. But today, I want to throw out there the idea that maybe what we need to do when we find ourselves, especially in a crisis of belief, is act more like a child and less like a complicated adult. It's funny how Jesus praised childlike faith and children and held them up as examples of the life of faith. What is that about? It's good sometimes to stop and think about it. Um, when, I was a, when I was a child in school, I loved, uh, among other things, I was really good at the bars, right? Any of you ladies ever do the bars, right? You know, put your leg like this and hold on. Did they do that in Arizona or just was it too hot like hell here for that to be a possibility? You, you got blisters? I used to have unbelievable blisters on my hand. My calluses were nutty. Yeah, and I could do all that stuff. I could do a dead man. I could do a cherry. Wait, was a cherry drop? I could go around with no hands. I could ride like I was riding a bull with one hand. I love that stuff, right? I love that. I love tetherball. I love handball. I love kickball. I love what we called nation ball or dodgeball. Um, but I also loved the swings. Anybody else love the swings as a child? Yeah. And sometimes I wish I could swing. It's just I'm a grown man, and that's weird. If I go to a playground and swing, people are thinking, what's that sex predator doing here? I mean, you just can't go swing as a grown man. Um, but, Chris, can you show this next picture? I love swinging. The swings, right? Good times. True story, and I'm not trying to glorify this. I'm just telling you the truth. There was this one time in my ninja phase, and I had a ninja phase. Did anybody else have a ninja phase? You had a ninja? Okay, so lots of ninjas. You had ninja phases. Other people had, like, G.I. Joe phases. You know, it's occasionally. Yeah, you're still in yours, man. I see you show up in camo all the time. It's what? Oh, yeah. Hold on to it as long as you can. Seriously, but what's awesome is after you get done, hey, this is this is hope for you, man. Hope for everybody. The teenage years suck because everything that's cool and fun, you don't think is cool anymore. And life re-emerges when you finally get to the stage in life where you don't have to be cool anymore. And then you can go back to doing all the fun stuff again. It's like, who doesn't want to build a fort? And now we just do it as grown men, and we call it paintball. Yes. I mean, but who doesn't want to build a fort, you know? So anyways, I was going through my ninja phase, and I had my friends convinced that I was a white ninja. Don't know how I did that. I watched a lot of chop sake kung fu flicks and learned some moves, but um, there was this one day I was waiting in line for the swings, and I was probably, I think, in fourth grade, and I wasn't a huge kid, but this sixth grader came, because there was a girl he liked swinging, right? And you had to wait standing, facing the swings until they swung a certain amount of times and they had to get off and then I can get on, right? This sixth grader came and like nudged me out of line. And the girls are like, ooh, let him go. I took a step away like that sixth grader just took me out. And then in my head I heard, dong, dong, dong. <laughs> and I'm thinking a ninja wouldn't take this. 
I turned around and socked that sixth grader so hard in the sternum. I turned around, bam, hit him, and he's like, ooh, right? And then I jumped on him. I mean, you don't cut in front of a man in line for the swings. I've been waiting. I hit him. I jumped on him. Of course, he's trying to fight back, and the girls are going, ah, ah, trying to slow themselves down on the swings. <laughs> And this yard duty teacher with a, this white and gray afro is running, hey, not on my playground. <laughs> like that's going to stop me. <laughs> Stupid whistle. <laughs> you don't mess with a man on the swings. You don't take cuts. That's just, that's the way it is. Not glorifying it. I'm just saying. I was a ninja. <laughs> had to put it down. That's what I had to do. It's part of the Bushido code. So, so, anyways, do you remember the day, and you probably don't, but do you ever remember a time in your life when you came out to the playground and you looked at this thing and had a moment, had a crisis moment? You know, the time when you had to learn to swing by yourself. Because up until that moment, Mom or dad or somebody else you conned into pushing you on the swings had done that, right? You sat there, you held on, and they're like, wee, wee, and they just sat there, and they're like, oh, seriously. Because you just never wanted to get off if you're like me. It's swings? Come on. This should never end. And then somebody finally says, you got to learn to do it yourself. They probably said it like this. It's time for you to learn to swing like a big boy <laughs> or a big girl. You got to swing. Get on there. Do you remember that day? It's a crisis moment because seriously, you look at that thing and you're a little kid. You hop on it. You're sitting there. And for a lot of us, when, you, when you're first swinging, your feet aren't even touching the ground. You have to jump up and kind of sit down on that thing. And then you're like, right? <laughs> Scoot yourself back into the little sling there, and your feet aren't really touching very well, right? And how are you supposed to go from sitting there in the swing? You can't, you try to do the Barney Rubble thing. You don't get anywhere. How are you supposed to swing? You know, and then lots of kids will look at the person who's supposed to be pushing them and start crying. It's like, oh, you don't love me. How dare you? I just want to go high. <laughs> there, they, there they are looking. You can do it like a big boy. <laughs> right? It's a crisis moment. <clears throat> right? How do you do that? How do you sit on the swing and go from sitting there where I can't touch to soaring? Will I ever be able to do that when that person isn't there for me? I think it, I've also had crisis moments j almost just like that in my spiritual journey as well. Um, crises, is, crises that come from the realization that a certain person or people don't seem to be standing behind me the way that I'm used to having them stand behind me. Those crises that come from feeling like spiritually in my, in my relationship with Jesus and my journey as a Christian, those people that used to push me I just don't seem to be getting pushed anymore. And in some way, I'm, if I feel like I'm sitting there 
wondering how in the world am I supposed to swing again? How am I supposed to do this? You know, uh, maybe moments of betrayal, or moments of sensing that you're abandoned or that maybe somebody doesn't care or maybe the resources, uh, maybe you've sensed that God is wanting you to rise to a certain challenge or to accomplish something, but it doesn't seem that the resources are there. The people aren't there to help. Nobody is there pushing. How am I supposed to get this done? It's that uneasy feeling that comes from realizing that I'm in over my head. I don't have the resources to soar to the heights that God seems to be leading me to. How can I possibly do this? How can I possibly move forward? Like you, I'm pretty sure I want to please God. I want to know and do the will of God with my life. I really want to. But sometimes I honestly ask myself, how can I please God and do the will of God when inside I feel so utterly helpless? When I feel powerless to move forward? When I feel like I'm just suspended there and my feet can't touch the ground and nobody's there to help? How can I move forward? How can I do the will of God? Get your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 11. That's how you know God loves coffee, right? Hebrews. I mean, the heathens among us are saying, Steve, silly Steve, that's how you know God loves beer. Hebrews. That's horrible. Let's see. What we're we going to again? Oh, yeah, Hebrews. Hebrews 11. I'm going to read a few verses, okay? I'm going to, the, um, our scripture verse, our memory verse for experiencing God is verse 6. But I'm going to read a few verses, and I want you to um, read along with me or, or listen carefully. Um, this is a, an incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful um, um, passage of scripture, commonly known as... Um, the, the uh, what do they call it? The Faith Hall of Fame. Right? Let's pick it up at verse 1 in chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the world was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not, or was not made of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. By faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Stop there. 
And I would encourage you to read the rest of this chapter. Here's our memory verse and the verse we're focusing on today. Without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently or sincerely seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to know and do the will of God. Let's go back to the swings for a minute. How do we, what was, what was the solution? I think there's a bit of a parallel, and I'm probably forcing it a bit. I know I'm forcing it a bit. But I think there's a parallel idea here between what we're learning in this verse that we're looking at and how we handle the crisis of having to learn to swing on our own. I brought a video, and Chris is going to throw it up here in a second. This is what I want you to do. I want you to carefully study my main man, Max, as he learns to swing all by himself. Watch him carefully for what it is that he's doing all at the same time. And it's the key to, to, to swinging. Go ahead, Chris, whenever you're ready. Now, I think you did a bunch of things. Um, I think there was a lot going on there, actually. It's pretty complicated when you really study it. You're like, wow. You know, I don't know if I could train my dog to do that because there's so many motions all at once that he's doing. But I saw him do... I saw him do at least three things very distinctly that I think are important for us. And when we're talking about what, how in the world do we apply Hebrews 11.6 to our life, this idea of without faith it's impossible to please God, but anyone who come, because anybody comes to God must believe that he exists and believe that he's a rewarder of those who sincerely or earnestly seek him. I saw Max do at least three things. I saw him hold on. I saw him lean back. Lean back. Lean back. Yeah, I saw you coming, Ashley. And I also saw him kick forward. Did you notice that at the same time? Isn't it kind of, uh, here's a fun word, counterintuitive? Doesn't it, does it make sense to lean back and kick forward? Doesn't it seem like you're moving in two completely different directions? It's almost a counterintuitive kind of thing. So you could lean back and kick forward. That's what I see him doing, holding on, leaning back, and kicking forward all at the same time, all at the same time. And of course, when he gets some momentum and moves forward, he goes back to his original position and then swings back and then lean back, or hold on, lean back, kick forward. Up, original position. Lean back, or hold on, lean back, kick forward. I think when we're having a crisis of belief, when we're in these crisis times wondering how are we gonna make it, I think sometimes we might make it a little too complicated. I think we need to hold on, lean back, and kick forward. Hold on. What do you hold on to? You notice on, in the swings he was on, I think there was two chains. I like the swing sets with the chains because the ropes can burn, especially when you're doing apple turnovers. If you don't know what those are, it's because you weren't cool as a kid. <laughs> uh, chains. He's holding on to two chains. That's important for him to sit there. Hold on. There's not much for him to hold on to at that moment, really. You know, there's, there's no trees around, no bars, no mom's hand, no dad's hand. You know, he could hold on to his seat, but 
he's not dumb, so he's not doing that, right? He's holding on to those two chains. When I'm reading Hebrews 11 and 6, I don't think that this is trying to, to beat us down. I think it's trying to help us to understand that this life of faith and moving through these times of crisis isn't as hard as sometimes we think it is. We see in Hebrews eleven six, he tells us to hold on, hold on to two things. Yeah, life and the, your situations get complicated and scary. They get overwhelming, intimidating. But when you break it all down, right, you have everything is complicated and you've got tons of worrying, you know, flying around in your head. Sometimes it's just good to retreat back and move back to the things that you can hold on to for sure. When you boil it all down, what are you convinced of? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've had God take residence in your heart, there's probably a couple things that you are very convinced of. You're convinced that he exists. In your life of faith now, because you've encountered God, it's cool for you to know about all of the apologetic things that tell you about why we should believe God exists. You know, like causation principles. Something cannot come from nothing uncaused. Right? You know, some, some Christians get upset about the Big Bang. I don't. If there's a Big Bang, there's a Big Banger. Right? Because bangs just don't happen out of nothing. And when I mean nothing, I mean capital N, nothing. I'm not, like, when I imagine nothing, I imagine just pitch black in my head with nothing there. But even that is something because black is kind of something, isn't it? I mean, you could say it's the absence of light and all these other colors, but still it is a something. Blackness, darkness is still something. When I say nothing, I mean absolutely nothing. Nothing. It's a tough one to wrap your head around, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a genius to go, hmm, if there was nothing, something cannot suddenly, spontaneously explode on the scene because there was nothing uncaused. I mean, you can look at, you know, there's fields or there's, there's lines of reasoning that are teleological or cosmological or anthropological. Um, all of these ways of thinking about um, why it is intelligent and reasonable to believe that there is a God. And I like that stuff. I'm not against that stuff. You know, but when I find myself in a crisis, I don't retreat back into my apologetics trainings or my apologetics books because, honestly, I know that God exists. It's a truth that I can't get away from. No matter what I do, I know. How do you know, Steve? I don't know. I just know. How do you know you exist? I mean, seriously, how do you know that, that anything that's happening right now in front of you is actually happening? Can you know with absolute certainty? No. Cer certitude? Can you know with absolute certainty? No, you can't. If you think you can, let's have a chat. Or... Let's not have a chat and just go watch um, Inception with uh, 
Leonardo DiCaprio, and then come and talk to me. Right? And then I'll bust out Plato and Aristotle, and we'll have a conversation about where those ideas came from. How do you know you are? I think, therefore I am. Hmm. That's pretty good, Rene Descartes. You know, but it's not just pure reason that convinces me that I exist, because for me to be able to reason at all requires that I already exist in time and space, which are prerequisites uh, for me to be able to think reasonably and logically. Am I over your head now? Yeah. Well, here's my point. Some of you guys are tracking with me. Some of you guys are like, what just happened? <laughs> Swing sets to Rene Descartes? This is ridiculous. When it comes all down to it, we know that there's a God because that God has reached across space and time, whatever that is, and got a hold of our hearts and convinced us of a truth that we can't get away from. And that is a fact that is real, not because we ever sat down and figured out that God existed, but because God made himself known to us. God refused to leave us orphans or ignorant. And that's something I can hold on to. When I don't understand anything else, when there's nothing else to hold on to, and my feet aren't touching the ground, I know that God exists. And the other one, and I know this, because of God's activity in my life, God is good. And he wants me to be near him. He wants me to know him. The only reason I want to know him is because he wants me to know him. I wouldn't even have that desire apart from him. And this good God is a rewarder of those who seek him. If I continue to apply my life toward direct focusing and directing my attention, my energies, to knowing this God who has laid hold of my life, I will not be disappointed. I won't be disappointed. I'm convinced of those things. And when I don't understand anything else, and there are lots of times I don't understand anything else, two things I hold on to. God is. God rewards those who diligently seek him. If I continue to press toward God, I won't be disappointed. I can hold on to those things by the grace of God come hell or high water. And those are enough. I know even more that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him because Jesus demonstrated it. How do you know Jesus was telling the truth? Same way I know, I know I exist and God exists. I've got all kinds of other reasons for you too, though. But those are just kind of clutter. The real reason is because God, by his grace, has done a work in my heart. And when, it, when push comes to shove, I can hold on to that. Hold on. The second thing is we saw Max do is lean back. Lean back. That takes a tremendous amount of trust, doesn't it, when you're a kid? To lean back. Maybe kids don't understand the gravity of the situation. You get a little older, 
you put on some weight, you want to make sure that whatever you're leaning back into is not going to break. Because if I hit the ground and I'm not prepared, it's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt for a while. I mean, teenagers just know. I mean, I'm not even that old. I'm just telling you, it's nuts. I used to be able to heal like this. And now it's like, well, dang, that scar's still there. That scab went away three months ago. <laughs> it's like it takes longer to heal, easier. It's, it's wild, you know, how life goes. But I saw Max, he grabbed the hold and he just leaned back. I mean, he was convinced that that chain was going to hold him. And he could lean back and trust that he wasn't going to fall because the chain was not going to fail him. I think we need to hold on to those couple of things. God exists and he will reward me. I will reap a harvest if I just persevere. If I just hold on. If I just don't quit. If I refuse to give up. But in this refusing to give up, I'm not on my own. I can lean back. I can lean back into the arms of God. The God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can lean back and I can trust him. Listen to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Listen to what it says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You could take this verse in a number of different ways. Because um, the language is kind of interesting, the way he worded this. But what if at least part of it means this? The fact that we have faith, the very fact that we have faith is evidence that God is at work in our lives. Faith itself is the evidence of things that we can't see yet. You know, part of walking by faith and living this life of faith is we don't see the outcomes all the time. We don't see how it gets to come together. We don't see how things are going to pan out. That's part of the journey. We see it all the way back in the life of people such as Abraham and Moses. All the way through the lives of the disciples. And yeah, it makes me upset. I wish God would just tell me, you know, how's this going to pan out, God? Like, how is this church planting thing going to pan out, Lord? We have some significant obstacles. How's this all going to pan out? You know what's crazy? When we started this church planting journey, no idea how it was going to pan out. I still don't. But surprises happen along the way. Surprises that I never could have imagined. Important and significant surprises. I never would have ever been able to sit down in my living room with all of my worrying and tell you a series of events that took place. Like, I couldn't tell you. I never would have been able to tell you that 
I would, we would, I would launch out into this church planting thing and leave the security of the steady paycheck that I had at a church that was not wanting to let me go. That I would launch out into that, and then, lo and behold, um, an old friend of mine in California would suddenly feel that she needed to move from California and relocate to Arizona and come and find her husband in our church. Not that that was her mission. I never could have, I never could have foretold that. I never would have guessed that a few weeks later I would have been at a mountain retreat and I would have met Rob for the first time as we gathered, as we were getting our, um, our little bunks, our racks ready so that we could go out and spend days spilling our guts to one another. I never, I never could have guessed that I would have met Rob and that somehow that God would have been working in Rob's life and my life so that, so that these two, these two streams would converge and Rob would be a part of what's going on here. Never would have guessed it. Never could have guessed it. I never would have guessed that God would bring someone like Jeremiah. If I would have sat, if, you know, think about the craziness of thinking somebody, if, I saw, if somebody would have came to me and said, Steve, what's going to happen is this. God's got this Vietnamese kid out there. <laughs> and that he's going to bring him here and he's going to be a part of what God's doing. And you're going to get to see him grow in the Lord. I wouldn't have guessed that. Couldn't have guessed it. I, couldn't have, I could not have guessed that on the worst Easter Sunday I had ever personally experienced when I just got completely stabbed in the back over a real estate deal and we had n all of our Easter plans were just went out into the garbage because we couldn't do them, that I would gather together in a circle around a communion table on Easter night because we couldn't even worship in the evening, and we would have more visitors than we had had in a long time, and Veronica would be here as a result of that, someone that we had been praying for for months that we had never met. Never would have guessed. I'm not going to lie, I still try to guess all the time. And I get worried when I can't guess very good. Last weekend, Julie and I spent um, quite a while with Randy and Sandy Irwin. Who would have guessed that? Took us out to breakfast and sat there. And, and before I left, they, Randy looks at me and says, Steve, we are committed. We see what God's doing and we are with you. He's Church of God, too, but the headquarters for his Church of God is Anderson, Indiana. And if you know anything about Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, and Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, you'll know that those two groups don't agree on lots of stuff. But God can do what God wants. Because ultimately, how it's all going to pan out really is not about the matter of my intelligence and my ability to foresee and my ability to plan and my ability to work hard enough or be strong enough or be smart enough or be creative enough or be whatever enough. That's not what's ultimately going to define what God does in my life. And so sometimes I just need to tell myself, Steve, hold on. Don't worry about all this other stuff that you're not sure of. Hold on to these couple of things and lean back. Just lean back and trust that the chain is going to hold. The chain's going to hold. The chain's going to hold. 
The fact that I have faith at all, even as small and insignificant as it feels at times, is evidence that the Creator has not let go of me and, will, and refuses to. The Creator of the universe has dug his fingers into, the, into my being and refuses to let me go. No matter how hard the world pulls, faith itself is evidence. Doesn't matter that I haven't seen everything that's going to pan out. Faith itself is evidence that the thing that I hope for, the ultimate thing that I hope for, maybe not the little things that I hope for, but the ultimate thing that I hope for is going to come to pass. How do I know that? Because faith is evidence of this. This relationship with God is the very substance of the promises of God, which I don't fully see yet. And I can lean back because of that. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he said, It is God who works in you to will and act according to, to fulfill his good purpose. It's God's work in you. The fact that you want to please God is evidence that God is working in you. You wouldn't want to if God wasn't working. So sometimes we got to stop beating ourselves up and just lean back. Stop beating ourselves up and just lean back. He says in, in chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians, he's confident. This is a small, small economically challenged Macedonian church that Paul is writing to that is significantly contributed out of their poverty to Paul's ministry. And Paul is blown away by it. In Philippians, he's writing basically a thank you letter. A correspondence between a missionary and a supporting church. And in the beginning of his letter, he says these words, that he is confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Your ability to know and do the will of God, your ability to know and do the will of God and to please God isn't dependent on you. Yeah, you have to participate and work with God. Yeah, you have some things you've got to do. But ultimately, the God who spoke the universe into existence has directed the, his resources, which are unfathomable, unbelievable. He's directed and aimed his resources toward your heart because it's his will for you to know and do his will. And it is good and loving. He loves you. He doesn't want to harm you. His desire is to give you a hope and a future beyond anything that you would dream up for yourself. Scriptures say that he can do above and beyond anything we could ever ask or think. Anything we could imagine. And that's his desire for you. He is working toward these good purposes. It may not look like it. It may feel like your feet are dangling and there's no way for you to get traction. And there's no way for you to move and the people that should have came through for you aren't. The people that should be there aren't. The resources that need to be there aren't there. 
And there's nothing you can do to get them there. And there's nothing you can do to go back and change the people that have abandoned or betrayed you. There's nothing you can do about that. And God's not saying sit there on the swing and figure it out. He's saying hold on and lean back. Hold on and lean back. Third thing I learned from Max and from Hebrews 11 is you got to kick forward. Think about it. You're sitting on a swing, kicking forward into the air seems dumb, doesn't it? I mean, what is that really going to do? What are you kicking, genius? Air? It might work if you had like duck webbing on your feet, get enough air. It just seems like a dumb thing to do, doesn't it? I mean, most of us, we don't know aerodynamics and physics except maybe somebody like Rob or somebody who's an engineer. You don't know him. Um, I love you, but you don't know him. So, uh, <laughs> so most of us don't know the complicated stuff like that. I mean, seriously, sitting on a swing, kicking your legs. What are you kicking? What's that? Where's that going to get you? What's that going to do? Doesn't it seem totally futile, really? And yet somehow when you do all those things together, hold on, lean back, kick forward, forces that you don't understand begin to work in a way that, at least if you look at it with the eyes of a kid, is almost magical, isn't it? How does that work? I mean, how would you not feel like you're Harry Potter or something? Just conjured a Patronus. I mean, a Patronus is stupid too, right? I wave my wand and you got to flick it just right. Patronum, right? It's just dumb. I mean, what's that going to do? Right? I mean, but you're a little kid. You're sitting on a swing and it's like, Patronus! I mean, and before you know what happens, woo, you start swinging. What is happening, really? It really is kind of a fascinating phenomenon. When all those things start to, forces you don't even understand begin to move in ways that you couldn't have predicted, at least when you were a little kid. At least when you were a little kid. To take you to heights you never would have believed you could have done without somebody standing behind you pushing you. What's it look like to kick forward as a Christian? Hebrews 11.6, earnestly seek him. What's that look like? It can look like a, a variety of things. I can tell you what it probably looks like. One, one common thing, though. It probably looks like a dumb thing to do. It probably looks futile. It probably feels like it's not, doesn't make any sense. Won't ever accomplish anything. Won't do anything of significance. Pray? Seriously? Yeah, yeah we all believe in prayer. You know? But if you want to know how much you believe in prayer, ask yourself how much you pray. Because if you don't pray very much, it's a good indication that you don't actually believe that that is anything that's really important. Read your Bible. How much do you read it? Well, Steve, I don't have time. It's not getting me anywhere. I don't have time to do this. I don't got time to pray. Oh, but you got time to sit in the swing and worry. You got time to sit there and not, not do anything. I waste more time worrying 
honest, just being transparent. I waste more time worrying. Kick forward. Might not think prayer is accomplishing anything significant. Worship. Give thanks. Do your experiencing God stuff. Listen to a worship song. Spend some time in prayer. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Buy yourself a Starbucks coffee if you're not fasting it. And journal. Take a walk in the woods. Take yourself out to do that. Ride a motorcycle if you got one. Go on a hike. Go fishing. Sing karaoke. Lean back. Lean back. You got this. It doesn't matter that you don't have it all figured out. You got this. Because of God's working. Lean back. Kick forward. When you find yourself in a crisis of belief, and you will, and I will, it's a part of growing up in Jesus. It's a part of growing up in Christ. It's not, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean like that, that you know, you're the only one on the planet that doesn't get it. It doesn't mean that you're fatally and inherently flawed. It means that you're journeying with Jesus. That's what it means. It's a part of what this journey looks like. Remember, it's a part of growing up spiritually. There wasn't anything wrong with Max the day his dad said, hey, time to learn to swing like a big boy. And there was nothing wrong. You would have expected Max to throw a fit. You would have expected him to get upset. It's nuts to sit there and think that I can sit there by myself and do some things that don't make sense and so on. As God moves us forward and as we grow, we come to times like that, times of crisis, times of where our beliefs are challenged. Very complicated times, and I find comfort knowing that God, God's solutions are not complicated. Hold on. Lean back. Especially if you feel it's not getting to you anywhere. What else have you got to do? Before you know it, who knows what heights God may take you to. Without the things you thought you needed to get there. Ben, you want to come up? Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this patient congregation that endures my babbling. But Lord, I pray that I, I just sense that there are a lot of us, myself definitely included, that are in a moment 
where there is some crisis. We're not where we were, but we're not yet where we wish we would be. And we don't seem to have what it takes to get where we want to be. And here we sit. And we can't get any traction. Our legs are dangling. And there's so much going on that we have absolutely no control over at all. And Lord, I thank you that in, in moments like these, it's like you look at us with love and you say, let's not complicate things. You say, I've got you. You invite us just to hold on. You invite us to lean back. And you tell us, kick forward. So those in here, my friends that are dealing with that in this Lenten season, I pray that you'll teach us and help us. Help us in our lives when the rubber meets the road when we leave here to know what it looks like to hold on, to lean back, to kick forward. In Jesus' name, amen.